Welcome back, everyone. I am here again with Grant Cameron. Uh, today, we're going to talk about consciousness and contact. So what happened to you in February 2017? Okay, it's the second time I had it. I've always had sort of an ability. I wrote a book called Contact Modalities, in which I talk about the fact that the UFO experiencers will report According to the free survey, which is the foundation for research into extraterrestrial and extraordinary experiences, that 40% of all experiencers say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. Near-death experience people will report 31% of them will say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And I was actually just having a conversation with the guy who wrote uh, Search for Zero Point, Nick Cook. I was having, and he said, I, I had the same experience that you're talking about. He said, my wife, 2014, her, her mother was dying. She was sitting beside the bed. She was holding her mother's hand. And then her mother passed away. And my wife stood up and said, everything's fine. And started to walk out of the room. And he said, what do you mean everything's fine? Your mother just died. And then she said, weren't you with me? And he said, no, weren't I with you were? She says, I, I was in this, this light and it was bliss. And I knew everything and everything's fine. And so that you get this thing where the idea is that everything's in the field. So the idea, there's no time, there's no space. Everything mm -hmm. is like a deck of cards. Everything's stacked on top of each other. There's no time and space and everything is there. So this is the idea that inventors will talk about where they will be able to, like, for example, Nikola Tesla talks about the invention of the alternating current engine, where he's walking mm -hmm. through Budapest with this guy. All of a sudden, the idea pops into his head and he draws it in the sand for this guy, the dirt in, the, in what, what, what came into his head. And the idea is that the inventions are all there and it's the ability to shut down the left brain, the rational analytical side that's talking and saying, this is all bald, garbage, don't listen to this. And it's ca causing the noise and the signal. If you can shut that that down get in the field and bring stuff back then you can get these inventions and so you'll have people have these encounters where they'll talk about even so i even talked to gary nolan the other day i said to him i said gary you talked to me one time about i don't know how it works but i know how to make it work inspiration and he said yeah and and so he told me a bit different story than the, the first one but he said the way i do it he says i imagine something in my head like an fbi board and there's mm -hmm. pictures on the board, all these different things. And then I look at all the pictures and I put strings between pictures, how they link together. And I sit there and I study it and then I forget it. And he said, and within one or two days, the idea comes into my head, the answer to this problem. Or he'll say, I'm, I go to bed, I go through all the problems, I put the beside the bed, I put it on a piece of paper. He said, within a couple of days, the idea will be in my head. That's how he solves problems. And it's this idea that it's in the field and you just have to relax. Or you'll take the guy who invented the laser, the guy who invented the hologram, same thing. They're both sitting on park benches. One guy was waiting for a restaurant to open. The other guy was sitting and he's watching a tennis game. Play, and they were trying to work on this problem. They couldn't figure it out or whatever. And then they relax. The left brain shuts down. They're just relaxing. They're just sitting watching a tennis game, do, do, very sort of like watching it. And they're sort of the left brain goes to sleep. It sort of shuts down. The signal comes in and it's like, oh, yeah. And they go running back to their lab and quickly write it all down. Or the, the Wizard of Oz came instantaneously to the guy and he's reading his kids a bedtime story and he's writing on the back of envelopes and he's madly or Harry Potter. All his seven Harry Potter books came to J.K. Rawlings in a moment on a train going into London from Manchester. She fell asleep, woke up, and all these names are coming into her head. She said, I didn't have a piece of paper to write all this stuff down. And it's all coming into her head. And so that was the idea. So I've been able to do this sort of 
a little bit my whole life where I'll be sitting there and I'll, I'll walk. So I'll, I'll walk, 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 walk. And then suddenly something will occur to me. And the thing that's the hardest to explain to people is it comes with absolute certainty. That's the thing that's very hard to explain to people. Like, it's not like this is a good idea or something. It's your voice. It's your mind. But it's like, wow, I never thought of that. It's like, whoa, it's like that. that's right. And so <laughs> I could do this. And in 2012, I had the one with the consciousness download where I'm watching Colin Andrews. I didn't want to watch him. And I'm watching him lecture and I get the consciousness download. So in 2017, I'm walking again. And I'm walking downtown, which is about six miles. So I walk to McDonald's. I'm having coffee and that's about two miles. And then I start my walk again. And I remember exactly what street I was on, exactly what on the, where on the street I was when it happened. I'm just walking along and all of a sudden, this idea comes into my head and then another idea and another idea. And what the ideas were, Again, it was coming with absolute certainty. It was like, write this down, quick, quick, quick. And luckily I had a pen and a piece of paper. Usually I don't. I had a pen and a piece of paper. It was very cold. I'd take off my glove and I'm writing this stuff down. And what it was doing is it was saying to me the concept where not only is what you got wrong, it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. <laughs> and so it would say, is the world made out of little nuts and bolts? If it is, that's one world with certain rules and regulations. But it's made out of consciousness. That's a whole different world. All the rules are going to yeah. change. Is it a random world or is it a pattern world? If it's random, it's one world. And, it, and then it would say, is it one life? If it's one life, then that's one world. But if it's multiple lives, we, then everything changes. All the rules change. And it was like this, this, and it was coming. And I'm, I'm writing these things down. This, this versus this. Knowledge versus uh, belief versus knowledge. And it was like all this kind of stuff. And it was going, and I'm going, whoa. And I'm, I'm writing it down. And then it sort of slows down. It stops. I got maybe, I don't know, 12, 15 of them or whatever. I wrote it down. Put a pen back in my pocket and my paper and start walking again. And about maybe 10 steps later, it hurt comes again and I get the pen out and I keep writing in there more and I got about 24 and luckily I wrote it down because it's exactly the same now I'll have like a um, dream it's, it's gone it's like if you dream. don't write it down it, it leaves like a dream and like now I'll have the thing where I meditate maybe I don't know depending sometimes four or five times a day and but I won't meditate for very long I'll just sit down for 10 minutes I'll just say I gotta take a break like before this interview I said oh I gotta take a break I got 20 minutes okay for 10 minutes I'll just sit here and just relax and I, I won't think about anything I just relax and just sort of ease off and then it's usually it's like I, I sit there and I, I go into a, like a, a yoga position and I sit there and I, I go and all of a sudden like 15 seconds later and it's like comes into my head and I know and I'm going are you kidding me Come on. I just sat down. I mean, can you not at least wait till I, and it's, it's like just annoying. So I say, I, I'm not going to, and it fades, it goes away and it goes back. And I say, I don't care. Uh, I had this diagnosis that I was dying about March of last year. I was given a couple of weeks to live or a couple of months to live. Anyway. So during that thing, I had to clean up my, my files. I got my kid here and all this sort of stuff. And I had all these pieces of paper and I do this all the time where I'll get, it, get an idea and I'll write it down on a piece of paper and I'll never, ever read the paper again. And I had all these papers and I'm throwing boxes of papers out with all these notes on them, you know? And I would look at the note and i go, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> like, I had no idea what it was about. And yet when I was writing it down, it was like, write this down. So I'd have all these notes. And, and so that's the thing. I've had this thing where it comes in and comes out. But the one in 2017 sort of gave me this idea where, and, and it, was in, it was influenced also by psychedelics. I did an experiment when I realized that you could get in the field, when we wrote this book on contact modality, so you can use meditation, hypnosis, going through a front windshield of a car, trauma, child abuse, all these things, trauma, all these different things that will shut down that left brain. 
and it'll just and suddenly you're in the field and you, you know everything and everything's floating around and stuff like that and so then i i decided yeah, i could do it the odd time but i couldn't really dictate getting material like i got in 2017 and 2012 so i said you know, I hear this thing about psychedelics. You know, I've never done psychedelics, but man, that, I think I'd like to try that. Even though it's a roller coaster, you're going to go on the roller coaster. Is and this you ayahuasca or DMT? Or? I was doing psilocybin. I was doing hydrocilocybin. Okay. So I was doing the five grams psilocybin, which is the break, what's called a breakthrough dose. You you don't want, you don't want to get high. You want a breakthrough dose where just basically ego gets shut down and stuff like that. And in there, a lot of this stuff was reinforced. And what I would do when I'd go into the thing, I would say, so my first session, I'd say, you know, I was like scared to death. So I'd go into the session and I'd say, okay, I called the psilocybin school. That's what the book's called, the psilocybin school. And I, I just go and I say, okay, I'm here for school. What do I need to know? I'm not looking for an invention. I'm looking for, I just, what do I need to know? And it started giving me this stuff. First time it was compassion. It was this incident I had at the, the Mexican border with my assistant Desta where this little kid, they were, that was just before they started the cage thing. And these kids were there, they're from El Salvador. And I remember this kid, this girl, she was about 10 years old or 12 years old. She was bouncing a ball. She got one arm and she was bouncing this ball. She's playing with her brother and and the, the little kid, he was maybe seven or eight and, and they're playing together and it's freezing cold. We're all mad because it took us two hours to get across the border because it was a holiday and, and we're all upset. And I'm thinking, oh, these poor people and they're sitting there and they have to sit there for days or whatever. And I heard they were from El Salvador and stuff like that. So then I was leaving, we we're going to Tucson. I'm thinking, I wonder if those people got across the border. I wonder if that little girl with the one arm, how could she be a threat to the United States? I'm thinking of this source. And that's what's my first vision where I'm sitting there and there's this vision. And suddenly I'm in a cage and this kid is looking at me and he's just looking up at me and he's not saying anything. And it was sort of like, there's you a brother, right? didn't do a thing. You saw me there. You didn't do a thing. And I was just overcome with grief. I was just like, so that was my first one. And then I, I did one where it was uh, total despair. There was one with despair. And then I did one with death, which is the weirdest one. Because I've always had this fascination with death, where I, I always like I've taken courses on it and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm very much into the whole idea of life after death and near-death experiences and stuff. And I had the one, and it was I had six events in one psilocybin version. So I'm lying there and it was really weird. Like I'm, I'm lying there and, and I, I'm in a coffin. I'm lying in a coffin and I'm in a big cathedral and I'm looking up at this thing and I'm, I'm looking at the ceiling. I can tell it's a cathedral and I can tell I'm in a coffin, even though I'm not looking sideways or whatever. And I'm lying there and I realize I'm in a coffin and then I'm going, this ain't so bad. And then I'm going, why is the light? There's the light is coming in from one side. Like, you know, the stained glass windows behind the altar. And why is the light coming in one side of the window? And, and, and this is, I'm like, it's kind of weird. And then it would go to another thing. And it, it was just before COVID broke out and they, I was taken above the earth and I was above Canada and I saw souls coming up like this. And then they said, it's nothing personal, but this is the way it's going to be. And it turned to the United States and it was just like all these people dying. And it was like, so it was, I had six events and it was, it was just wow. weird. So I started doing that and I went through all the events and then I wrote the first 15 and then it started to go south on me. Because when you have these events in the, in the psilocybin, you have the event where it takes out the ego and that can be pretty ugly. Like people will talk about, you know, abduction experience. I say, I will put up any sort of experience you've had in UFOs against my experience where it's weird how they do it. It's like you have this event where you're in hell. It's literally like you're in hell. And it's the one was, it's, it's not like fire or anything. It was like, I was sitting there the, the one time and it was like, 
I, I decided I'm not going to listen to the music. John Hopkins University has a, a tape that you listen to. It's a seven-hour tape, and it takes you through all these emotions and stuff like this. And I didn't listen to the tape. I said, I'm going to meditate. So I was sitting in the other room, and I'm sitting there, I'm meditating or whatever, and suddenly it started going south, and suddenly I'm in this thing, and these it's like, it's like little, little I don't know what they call them, like little planets or little, and they were, they were hitting me, but I was ducking, and these things were coming, and it, was, it just kept going, and it made me think this was going to go on forever. This was my eternity, and I said to myself, well, I took the drug. I mean, I can't blame anybody else. And I said, okay, that's the way it's going to be. And as soon as I surrendered, it was over. Bang, like that. And suddenly I was in bliss and I was in this sort of thing. And there's this thing where they kill the ego, where they want it, like when I was in the, the coffin. It's sort of like some people see themselves die and they see their body rotting and stuff like that. They do this thing where they kill the ego. And that's shutting down the default mode network, the left side of the brain. So once the left side shuts down, then you you pop out. But to, it, like the, the ego is trying to save itself. Like I always make the joke about people where people will say they have compassion in the human body. We have 330 billion cells die in our body every single day. And they're created 330 billion new cells come in. And I said, does anybody have a compassion meditation for those cells that gave their life for you? No, it's only when the ego cell is going to die. It's like, hey, call 911. Hey, oh my God, we got to save ourselves. I need a healer. We need some drugs, you know? And it's like, what are we going to do? And that's the, the whole thing. So it, they create that thing where you're out of control and they make you, and I, so I'd go to the next one. I'd say, okay, I'm not going to fall for that again. I, I know it's only going to go on for a couple of minutes. Just surrender and it's over. And then it would, I'd go in it again. And I thought it was going to go on forever. And I, I kept going. I come out of the, the session. I go, how can I not figure that out? That it's not going to go on forever. But every time it would always make you think it was going to go on forever. And then you would just totally say, okay, that's it. This is the way it's going to be for eternity. I'm going to live in this hell. And then boom, it would go away. And then, and then I started having the one particular type of mushroom. They said, this stuff you only take if you're an expert at it. And that one I had every single time. Even though one time I only took one quarter of a gram, the rest was all some other type of mushroom. Even then it was like, oh, and I was like, and then I started to really hesitate as to what I'm, whether I'm going to do it anymore. The last four were just really, they didn't mean anything. Like the one was my assistant where it was like the whole, the whole session was Desta is really upset. And it's like, right, Desta's upset. That's it. And, it's like, and they kept going. And I said, what am I going to do? You better talk to her. And then I went and I phoned her up and said, Desta, I had a session last night and uh, I said, I'm supposed to talk to you. I said, oh, okay. And I didn't say anything. <laughs> it wasn't until six months later I told her what actually happened. But it was that kind of stuff. And I'm going like, it was just too much, too much uh, hesitation. I was getting more and more scared to do it as it was going along. Because it was all these, it can get really ugly in, in, when you get into these sort of sessions, especially if you're doing the high dose. If you're not doing the high dose, but the high dose is sort of like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So that, that's what I learned in this thing. And they were doing things like where I would talk to people and, and they were always on the thing about the ego. That's where I learned where they reinforced this thing. Not only you, you think, you know, everything. They said, you're just an ignorant, arrogant little piece of SHI. You know what? You think, you know, everything. You haven't got a clue what's going on. And then kept every time they would hammer me on this ego thing and they would hammer me on this ego thing and all this sort of stuff. And then the one time I remember I said, Okay, I'm getting sick and tired of this. I mean, you keep telling me this. I said, okay, so you tell me what the hell's going on. That's all I want to know. What the hell's going on? And then this voice says, we don't know either. And I said, come on, you don't know. <laughs> and we're starting to get these kind of things. It was sort of like, but it, it, it was a revealing thing because that was the whole thing I was trying to do is how do you get in the field and get this material and bring it back out again? Because that's the whole idea that all the answers are there in the field. And if you know how to get there, or if you can get people like channelers or people who are intuitives or remote viewers or people who are very good, it's the thing is to get somebody who's absolutely able to shut down that left brain 
and get in. That's why you see these savants. I've studied savants at great length because you get these guys who, George Finn, I don't know if you've ever seen him out of New York City, where they'll, the 60 minutes interviews and said, George, what's, uh, what's two times three? And he goes, would that be seven? And he goes, no. He said, uh, what's five times seven? Uh, would that be uh, 50? And they go, no. <laughs> What makes his talent so extraordinary is that with his limited intellectual capabilities, he cannot multiply even the simplest numbers. I'd like to try some math questions, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. Some arithmetic. Can you do three times two? Three times two is, uh, is it, uh, seven, is it? Or, uh, how about five times seven? Five times seven might be, be... And they say, hey, George, so on what, at what date is uh, January the 1st in the year one? Oh, that'd be a Tuesday. <laughs> and he names all these things off. And this guy, apparently you can even ask this guy, what are the next 12 years in the future where Easter will fall on April the 1st? And he'll go, and he'll name them off like that. And he can't multiply two times three. What day of the week was August 13th, 1911? Uh, Sunday. What day of the week was May 20th, 1921? Friday. What day of the week is February 3rd in the year 2068? That will fall on a Friday. What date was the third Saturday in October in 1945? It was on the 20th. So he's not calculating. He's getting it out of the field. It's popping into his mm -hmm. head. And that's what they will tell you. They'll sit there and wait, and they'll wait for the answer to pop into their head, and then they, they give the answer. And that's the whole idea is this idea there's something in the field. So that, that's where the whole the concept came from. So I'm very interested in, especially trans channelers. And I've actually tried to run an experiment with, so there's channelers, there's, there's people who are, we're channeling. And people say, well, you're not channeling. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think the words are coming from? I, I speak very quickly. I mean, anybody tells me there's little neurons in my head that are putting words in the sentence and there's somebody doing grammar and there's somebody doing my hands, somebody doing my mouth and stuff. I said, this is total nonsense. This is coming out of the field and it, the brain is the idiot in between. It's doing the, the work. The but processor. It's, it's an antenna. Yeah, it's an yeah. antenna. And, right. and so you get people at different levels. So then you'll get people who are, are channelers, but then you get people who are trans channelers where they actually lose consciousness. They don't know what's going on, like Edgar Casey or something like that. So I was very interested in, in trance channelers and this whole co concept that I'm still trying to run the experiment. I'm trying to get people involved in this. I had Bashar, who was one of the, the channelers who had agreed to do this. I had a bunch of people who agreed to do it and COVID and there was all sorts of problems and, and people were suspicious or whatever. And the idea was that Jay-Z Knight had done a, a channeling where she had she was dealing with Ramtha. So this whole story was that she had Ramtha and they would take her DNA. They showed taking the tests before she channeled and then they did three different tests, went to three different labs. Then they did three when she was channeling. And when she was not channeling, she was French and she was female. When she was channeling, she was male and she was Icelandic and whatever. And so this is the whole idea is the idea that consciousness may be, it's like you, you get this idea with multiple personality disorders where you'll hear one has a disease the other one doesn't have a disease one's allergic to something one's not allergic to something one their eye color changes and people say no their eye color can't change that's dna it can't change and you hear these rumored stories and so people said oh jc knight she just made it up and i said well maybe she made it up 
but that's a pretty simple test to run. If we can get a trans channeler and we got right. a second white crow that shows this. And so I've been for a couple of years trying to get a, a direct trans channeler to channel when they're channeling to get the DNA. And then you can do 23 and me. There's even a guy out of Germany. I thought I really had it. A guy out of Germany who's a, a, a physical medium. So you have all across the spectrum. So this guy's a physical medium. He makes stuff come out of his eyes and, and you know, he's make people manifest from the dead and all this kind of stuff. And so he had agreed to do the test. And then I found that his control that controls him when he's trans-channeled is uh, a former parapsychologist, German parapsychologist. that said, hey, great, man, we, we can get that guy's uh, relatives because the guy's dead. We can get his relatives. And if when 23andMe comes up, it'll show all those relatives on the first and second generation. Of, and, then, and then I found that the guy was never married. It's like, ah, nothing's working here. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that I sort of got into where it was this idea that, <clears throat> that everything's there. And that you can do it. And then that's so why I said to Gary Nolan. Gary Nolan says, yeah, but everybody can do that. And he said, it's, it's not unique to me. And I said, yeah, I know that. But that's the whole point is we can develop this kind of stuff. I wrote the book where I talk about how many songs come in dreams, how many songs uh, come in within five minutes and stuff. And the best songs of all times came in dreams and came in the first five minutes. And how many artistic people where they're, they're painting in the dark and they're painting with two hands and one is one master and one's in another master. And then you look at them and they actually look like they were painted by that guy and stuff. And you, you start looking at this really weird stuff, which is what Gary Nolan said. I'm not interested in the 95% I know. I'm interested in the 5% I don't know because that's where the anomalies are. That's where the Nobel Prizes are. And the whole point is when you and I are working on paranormal phenomena, either paranormal phenomena exist or they don't exist. If they don't exist, well, no, no big problem. But if they do exist, something we've got is wrong. We've got some wrong assumptions like what they're saying to me. You think you don't understand, you haven't got a clue what's going on. It's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. And so the whole idea is to, to get the anomalies and then to find people who can crack those anomalies and get in there and pull the material out. And I found a, a great deal. And my ability is the only one I have really, the odd time I'll have it in the shower where I'll get in the shower. And the, again, it sort of upsets me where you get this great idea and then you're going like, what well, does it look like I can write it down? Or the, the woman that wrote Eat, Pray, Love, she tells the story. It was on the New York bestsellers list for five years or something like this. And she's telling the story where she says, I'm writing this book and it's the worst book I ever wrote. And she says, I'm just frustrated. I don't know what to do. And then I remember this guy, he was a, a musician. I can't remember his name was. He was in LA and he's driving down the freeway. And she said, he told me the story one time. He's driving down the freeway and all of a sudden this song comes into his head, this really great song. And he says, does it look like I can write this down right here? I mean, come on. If you really want me to do this song, come back when I can write it down. Otherwise, go bug Leonard Cohen. And, and then she says, so she's writing this, she's writing this book. She says, absolutely terrible. And then she says, I might as well try it. What the heck? I'll try it. So she looks in the corner and says, I just want to let you know, I showed up here. I, I'm doing my part of the job. And if you want to help, you can, you can get in here and help. And she writes this book, this New York Times bestseller this for five years. And so that's the thing is people learn these techniques that you can actually do this. And it's the ability to shut down the ego and to go quiet and put the, the intention out there, and it will pop into your head. Yeah, part, there's a technique. It's, it actually has a name for it, at least part of the phenomenon. It's called thought incubation. And I know, same thing, DIA in the early 1990s, they sent people to learn how to do it. It's basically, you have a very specific question. You yeah. write it on a piece of paper, yeah. because your subconscious is smarter than your conscious mind. And then you go to sleep, and you wake up with the answer. And that, and that makes sense that they would do that. That's why they went. That's why I said they went to Skinwalker Ranch. I, I wrote about that in these airports and manifestations. They weren't interested in UFOs. They were interested in all this weird stuff. 
how does this stuff work? And we can figure this stuff out because it's this technology that you can do this stuff. And it would be insane not to do it because you've heard these stories. I remember Hal Putoff, I, I was friends with Bob Emmenegger, who was the producer for UFOs, Past, Present, and Future. And Hal Putoff had given him all this material from the Chinese from the 1980s, these little kids who could blindfold read. And I deal with people who blindfold read. And that this is a real deal. This is the real thing. You can put a blindfold and a kid, you can teach a kid to see with a blindfold on in five minutes, see colors in five minutes. And you can get these kids reading books and they're sitting there and they're sort of reading like this mindful blindfold, which if you've ever put one on, you know, there's no way you can see through them. And, and the kids reading the book and you see this kind of stuff. If you're an intelligence agency, why would you not work on that? I mean, there's got to be some right. sort of intelligence benefit to that kind of stuff if you can do that kind of stuff. So they, they've been into magicians. They've been into psychics and, and they would watch. That's where Chris Bledsoe, where Chris Bledsoe said to the, the intelligence guy, because he's got all these CIA people, the highest levels of intelligence and military all there. I even asked him, did they ask you how to fly the ship? And he said, oh yeah, they brought a general in and I told the general how to fly the ship. And and then he said to the one guy, he said, what are you guys doing? He said, my family's all upset. I mean, you guys are all here, intelligence people and stuff. And, and you know, my friends, they're, they're, they don't want to talk to me and all this sort of stuff. And you're causing a lot of trouble. Like, what are you doing on my property? And the guy says, well, Chris, he says, it, it appears you have contact with them and they seem to like you, Chris. They don't like us because they're not talking to us. So we've come here to find out what they're telling you. <laughs> and that would make sense. Sure, you're going to go there. If he's got all these stuff happening around him, why would you not go there? I mean, you'd be insane right. to say, oh, I don't believe it. Where, where does that get you? It doesn't get you anywhere. Right. Well, yeah, you have to surveil it. You have to figure sure. out what, what's going on, especially if you're trying to catalog national security threats, because you don't know if it's friendly or a threat without doing your homework and that's why so, they did remote viewing because they, they realized the russians were doing it and either you do it or, or you're going to get left behind and they had these guys who could go the, the hypnotism thing where they'd go into a bank and they could hypnotize the teller just by talking to her and get her to hand over the money and that's what the russians were working i can can you get into reagan's head and make reagan think things and stuff like that so that's the whole deal either you work on it or your enemy is going to work on it. And if you hear these stories, you can scoff all you want, but you, that may be the worst mistake you ever made in intelligence history. Yeah. Well, that's what you're talking about. Is re it's called remote influencing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the remote viewing program, I know Lynn Buchanan as an example, he was explicitly told not to do that, but he had been approached by other shadowy agencies yeah. to do exactly that. And to, as far as I know, he refused. But there was a newspaper report during the Gulf War where Saddam Hussein was reporting that these psychic Americans are like attacking me and this and that. <laughs> and and they were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's that they were. And they so, used or, and they used the techniques to avoid. So the the Russians will have their big meetings beside circuses or beside brothels and stuff like that, because that throws off the remote viewer because you've got all this action and you, you're going to go to the most interesting place rather than some boring meeting where some guys are talking. And so th that's the deal is it would be insane not to work on this kind of stuff. And that's what I'm doing. This is basically an intelligence thing where you're saying, That'd be an, uh, let's try this, let's try this. And you work it and sooner or later, something's going to work or develop it yourself. I'm not really that interested in, you know, developing stuff or anything like that. I, to me, it's like, it's always been like a chess game. I was pretty good playing chess as a kid. And to me, it's sort of like a chess game. So I say, when you're playing the game, if you're playing you do not move a piece until you know exactly what your opponent is doing because people will say i got this thing i'm going to do and they don't watch what the other person is doing and you mm -hmm. don't move until you know exactly what they're going to do and as soon as you know what they're going to do you go okay i'm going to set a trap for them and you just pretend you don't know what they're doing and then and you go on and that's the, how the game's played so to me it's always like a game it's like a it's like a thing can i figure this thing out and it's always been that to me i don't need the money i don't need the the 
prestige or anything like that. To me, it's like when I can figure out something more and I get some, some idea in my head, I just like for days, I walk around and go, holy cow. I just like, yeah, you're in heaven. It's like, oh, you know, that it just came to me. And it, it's like, when I had that download experience, it was, uh, it was, it's exhilarating. It's like when I had the one with, with Colin Andrews, I mean, I couldn't think for two days. I was just walking around. And when I saw Michael Newton lecture, the life between lives, I just accidentally walked in that lecture. And again, I was like, wow, it's just like a new world and everything just shifts and, and suddenly everything starts to make sense and you start to, to get excited. And that's what, what it's about. It's like the idea you live to your life to your highest excitement. And then you do the next thing to the highest excitement and the next thing to highest excitement. And I, I always say like the UFO, the paranormal UFO thing, you and I live in the Super Bowl every day. People don't realize, they don't realize that you're lead, leading this, the biggest story of all times and you're get to play mm -hmm. the game. You're in the game and most people are, haven't got a clue what's going on. They're living lives of quiet desperation, just taking their kids to soccer practice, watching some TV, trying to make some money or whatever. And we get to play this game. And to me, it's like, why would you not be excited about this? Because everything, every day you can invent something, you can see something. Even today, I'm doing a, a, a thing on, I got exhilarated on this this thing about the, the threat where they say, oh, there's this threat narrative. And they're after our nuclear weapons, or they're monitoring us. I sure hope they're monitoring the nuclear weapons. And I tell the story yeah. about yeah. Zidane Brzezinski in 1979, how close we came to destroying the world. Brzezinski tells this story. He says he gets a phone call at 2.30 in the morning from NORAD, and they say there's 250 missiles have just been launched from the United States. You've got between three and seven minutes to phone the president of the United States, whether we counter. And then he said, as they're on the phone call, he said, there's now 2,500 missiles in the air. And then Brzezinski gets off the phone and he's deciding to phone Carter. And he says, he looks at his wife and his wife is sleeping. He said, I should wake her up and tell her. And he said, I don't know, it's over in 30 minutes. I might as well just let her sleep. And we came that close, six minutes. It was six minutes. Norad phoned back and said, we've just gone to the satellites and we determined there was no launch. It's a false alarm. And they had three more false alarms in the next two months. And I say, I sure hope to hell the UFOs are watching after the nuclear missiles because we've just all blown up the place numerous times. And that's the whole idea. I mean, the idea that they're going to turn on the missiles and let the Russian launchers, that these crazy ideas. But unless you have those crazy ideas of, of paranoia, you're not going to get any defense money. If, if, there's, if you've got no enemy, you don't get any budget. You only get a budget when you, when you can hype it up. Well, if you believe Hugh Everett's many worlds theories, maybe that outcome did happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or how many times did the, <laughs> did the beings actually shut off the missiles? Because I go through the yeah, whole thing yeah. that people don't realize. I mean, if you remember this big sighting, most people know the Malmstrom sighting, but they don't know the Malmstrom where they shut down the 10 nuclear missiles. And then they they launched down and were south of me in North Dakota in the same year, in the spring of that year. Most people don't realize that was just before the Six-Day War. The Six-Day War was all about nuclear weapons. It was about the Russians were going to take out the Damona nuclear power plant because they were dissembling the two first nuclear weapons. And they said, we either take it out now. They they, had, they were going to paint planes, Russian planes, with Egyptian colors, and they were going to fly in and take out the Damona plant to, to stop them from Israel, having nuclear right. weapons. And that's when all these nuclear shutdowns take place. And then the, the Yom Kippur War, most people don't realize the Israelis were losing the war, and they put 14 nuclear weapons on trucks and on planes, and they were ready to blow up everything because they were losing the war. And that was the same time, if you hold the, the whole story that Ross tells in Australia about this NSA facility on the coast of, of where the UFO appears over that thing, it appeared during that war. And that was what gave the signals to the Polaris missiles in the, in the Indian submarine. And that was the last day when they had all these things. And they, the Americans had actually said, 
said, if you do not back off those weapons, we're going to allow the Russians to come in and take out Israel and to stop these weapons because the, the Americans couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything with the Israelis. And most people don't realize there's all these UFO sightings. The biggest sighting in Canada happened exactly the same time. Just before the Six-Day War, there was two MiG-25s flew over, over the Demona plant in open daylight because the, the Israelis couldn't shoot them down. And this is the plane. The Americans didn't even know it existed at the time. It flew over twice. Mm -hmm. Right in between those two was the, the Falcon Lake incident where the guy gets burned. And he has this weird burn that reappears every couple of years. It comes back and goes. And you see all these things and you're going like, are these signals? And so maybe you don't know what's going on. Maybe I don't know what's going on. But somebody up high who knows how it all fits together says, did you see where that UFO sighting was? Do you? He knows where all the nuclear weapons and, and all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that you don't know about and stuff like that. Or the cattle mutilations. I was talking about cattle mutilations. I say, like, if you've got cattle you're mutilating the cattle and you got the thing in the ship. Why do you come back and drop it in the guy's yard? You do it. I said to Linda, how, you know why they do it, Linda? She said, why? Because they want you to go take a photograph of it. They want everybody to know they want this horror show because the, the one guy, this Perkins guy came up with the thing. He said, it's all downwind from nuclear activity when they were detonating yeah. bombs on, on area 51, yeah. that's downrange. And, and they're doing yeah, they're monitoring radiation. Right. So, so they're not interested in yeah. the cattle in the, uh, the pens. They're interested in the cattle that are feeding. And the other thing was that they pointed out that a Brahmin cow, the sacred Brahmin cow from India, there's millions of them. Not one has ever been mutilated. And so you go like, what you know, you start picking up these signals, you go, and when I see stuff like that, I go, Hey, that's pretty cool. And it's like you're getting these little clues and you start to put it together and and you see it in a different world. Whereas people just say, Oh, they're mutilating these cattle, and and it's like, well, what why would it hasn't happened for 20 years? Why did it stop? Or you they got enough serum now, they don't have to make the babies with this anymore, or whatever. And the more you look at it, the more you look in depth at this stuff behind the scenes, you realize that somebody up in the government is saying, Did you see where they mutilated that cow? Did you see where that cow was? And they know what's going on. We don't, I don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, because they'll plot it and they'll see like the downwind from radioactive plumes. Or, or they know whatever. there's been a radioactive right. leak and nobody knows and only they know. Mm -hmm. And they say, holy, they, they, they know. And so that's why I say I, I call it the theory of wow, where I say almost everything I think the UFOs are doing, it's just a theory of wow. They want you to go wow. They, they're doing stupid things like to put, why do you have lights on UFOs? They want you to see them. They want you to report it. They want you to talk about it. That why do they mutilate cow? Because they want to make this big scene about the nuclear thing. Why do they um, make crop circles that the people have to try to figure out? They're doing orbs now, this very complex orb thing with the structures of orbs, and they're getting more and more complex all the time. And you see all this kind of stuff and they just keep changing it. Or you see that the beings actually change. So 1890, they're flying around in wooden ships with propellers and big sails on them. And then they turn to Foo Fighters. People say, oh, they're in our airspace. In 1945, in, in, in the Foo Fighters, they were on the edge of the plane. They were that close. And that's why I say that they're saying, even with the Nimitz, I say, you take the Nimitz thing, why did they drop from 80,000 feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second? What do you think? That's a pre-abduction maneuver? It's like, hey, watch this. And then they say to Zogar, hey, Zogar. They're coming. The jets are coming. They finally saw us. We've been sitting there for a week. They finally saw us. Go make some big bubbles under the water. And so make some big bubbles. And they go flying over. And, oh, my God. and they just make this big thing. That's what Jacques Vallée said. Hey, come on. It was a sighting. It was just to make the impression that there was more nuclear firepower, according to Elizondo, in the Nimitz carrier, because they have all the submarines with the nuclear weapons and stuff like that. Then they're in the state of New York. 
And so you realize that that's why they're after the Navy, because the Navy's got all the nuclear stuff. The Air Force doesn't got any nuclear stuff except for the silos. And you start on the other patterns. For example, in 1976, there was the famous one at the SAC bases along the Canadian-U.S. border. They were on the SAC bases. So in Loring, Wurtsmith, and South of me in Minot, and they were there in October and November. What happened at the same time? Right in between all those incursions inside the nuclear weapons storage areas of the three SAC bases was the abduction of Travis Walton. And you start going, oh, and, and and when I had my sighting in 1975, I didn't know. I, I went to the guy who owned the airport and it was a small town, 2000 people, nothing there, no industry, no military, no nothing, just farming community. And I went to the Bob Deemer, the guy who ran the airport and I said, Bob, it's been 30 years now. I said, well, why did they come here? Why did they come to this little dinky town? And he said, I, you know why they were here? I said, no, I don't know why they're Bob. He said, I told you in 1975 why they're here. I said, Bob, it's been 30 years. I have no idea why they're here. And he said, the nuclear silos, I told you that. They were coming from the States. And I go, oh, because we all knew the, the United States had 300 nuclear missiles. They had 150 in the Minot field, Grand Forks field, 150. Mm -hmm. And then in 1975, in February, when the sighting started in Canada, they put in 100 new nuclear missiles. And this was pre-Star Wars. They were going to build these three sites. And they only built the one at Cools Route, North Dakota. And what they did is they put in 100 nuclear missiles. One had one megaton warheads, one had five megaton. And what they would do is the, the Russians launch, most people don't realize, the first target of the Russian missiles is not it's Washington. It's the missiles. You know, unless you right. take the missiles, like you're not going to see what's going to happen. Right. So we always knew we were gone. We were only 60 miles from the missiles. So we knew, I mean, every 10th Russian is going to come right on top of us. And we're done. And so we all knew the missiles were there. And I'd forgotten all about this. And, and what they did is put another 100. And so what they would do is if the Russians launched, they would shoot the first one up into outer space and try to get it in outer space and explode. And it would shred the missile EMP. as it was in right. outer space. And if that one missed, then they had these sprint missiles, real fast sprint missiles that would get it as it was coming coming in and create debris over top of the site to shred the missile. And they put them in in February of 1975. That's when the sighting started. And they negotiated with the Russians and took them indeed to commission the place in November of the year. And that's when the sighting stopped. And then I said, oh, now I started getting on this nuclear thing. And that's when I started to put these things. I started looking at different sightings of major UFO events and then take a look. Was there a nuclear event at that time? And that's when I found the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War and all this kind of stuff. And you start to realize like, oh, there's some pattern to this stuff. And it, it's not the big bad aliens. It, it's they're monitoring the crazy guys on the ground and, and what we're doing. UFOs, do you think they're extraterrestrial intelligences or do you think they're time travelers, us from the future, interdimensionals? Okay. Ultra Just in the last year, I've, I've changed. The more I go, the less I think they're ET. They're off world. So they're not here. But this comes down to this concept of how does the universe actually work? That's my main field right now. So is there time and space? If there's no time and space, how big is the universe? It may be just a point, dot right. in yeah. space. And so when you talk to the, the, the people who fly the ship, I had 36 people and I didn't make public because there was none on the internet. So they, they couldn't got it from the internet. So I, I gathered all these and there, you'd have this repeated pattern where they would say, you'd be inside the ship, like a, a retired Air Force, Air Force colonel, finds himself on the ship. And then you start to see there's crossovers between all sorts of spiritual stuff going on. So the guy's sitting there, and then they would say to the guy, there's somebody behind him, which I didn't realize until I heard Jim Semivan talk about it. There's somebody behind him. And he says, they say, go ahead and do it. And he says, I don't know what to do. And then the voice behind him says, you know what to do, just do it. And then he sees this panel, and he goes and puts his hand on the panel. And he said, as soon as he puts his hand on the panel, he becomes one of the craft, and he says he's flying the craft. 
And then he takes one hand off and he's, he's waiting for the thing to stall. And he takes the other hand off and he's like, what the heck? And he's, he's got his hands off and he's flying this craft. So he has this, this thing behind him. So when Jim Semivan's talking about it, and then he's being interviewed by James Ian Dolly. And James is trying to get him to talk about his sighting, his beings inside the bedroom. And he doesn't really want to talk about it. And then, so James is getting frustrated. He says, well, was there any telepathy involved? And he said, yeah, that was the interesting part. He said, I was standing there with my wife and my wife doesn't remember anything. I was standing there with my wife and there was this entity behind me and he was putting off this guardian type thing. And I went, guardian type thing. And I said to James, ask him what side he's on, left or right. Because if you do Michael Newton, Journey of Souls, when you die, you go in front of this panel and it's a life review and they ask you, how did your life work out? You planned all this stuff and you want to do all this stuff. And your soul guide stands on your left side behind you. And I'm thinking, I wonder if that's a soul guide behind these people. In, it, could be, it could be you. It could be your higher could, consciousness. Yeah. Well, that's the whole deal. It's all one right. thing. It's all consciousness. It's all just one mm-hmm. thing. And we're all connected. That's where you this, the, the ayahuasca thing, where you have the ayahuasca and you suddenly realize everything's alive, conscious, and connected. And it's this idea that everything's together. Or they would say to people, for example, uh, a lot of them, they would say to them, Ron Johnson out of Utah, he said all his out-of-body experiences, except for the first couple. But he said there were out-of-body experiences. And then he said he was sitting there and they say to him, where would you like to go? He said, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they said, okay, he's sitting in this chair and he's got his fingers in this chair. And he said, the chair is like it's built for him. Like it actually built a chair for him. And he's sitting there and then they say, it's within you. Go within yourself. And it's like remote viewing. So when you say to somebody, okay, here's a target, 764321. The guy doesn't say, okay, hang on, I'm flying there right now. I'll be right there. Yeah, he, he just- goes, I'm at the target. And this whole idea is, is it within you? And if you heard Stephen Greer does, there's a lot of these, when I started finding it, the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. The Sufi expression says, you see yourself as a puny being when within you, the universe is enfolded. So if it's all consciousness, it's all within you. And you have this idea, for example, an out-of-body experience, a lot of people, Betty Andreasen, there wrote six books on her abduction experiences. She talks about this thing where they bring her back in this glass orb thing. She goes on these different beings and she's doing all this kind of stuff. And then they take her home. She says, oh, I was so glad to be home. They dropped me off in the backyard and my trailer was there. And I went running to the trailer. I went in the trailer and there was my husband sleeping there. And then I went and I saw myself sitting on the side of the bed. And I got into my body and went back to sleep. And that's the whole thing. People describe this. So if you have an out-of-body experience, and a lot of people, the, the head of MUFON for Japan had 22 experiences last year. And he said every single one of them was out of, he was a meditation expert. And he, he said they're all out-of-body experiences. And he would go to the ship and he would deal with the beings and, and, and interact with them and stuff like that. He says it's all out-of-body experience. And so that's the whole idea. If it's all consciousness, it's all one thing. It all may be within you. There is no out there, out there. That's what John Wheeler, the physicist said. He said, there is no out there, out there. And it's this whole idea that it may all be within us. And if you have the out-of-body experience, so you have your out-of-body experience, you say you have a near-death experience or out-of-body experience, and you float away and you look back at yourself, you can see your body and you can see your head and you can see your brain. So the question is, is the consciousness in the brain? Well, no, it's not. It's here. I'm looking at my brain and there's no consciousness in my brain. My consciousness is here. My body and my brain is inside my consciousness. And then you can float to the window and look out at the window. Everything in the universe is inside your consciousness. And that's where I think Deepak Chopra comes the closest. Deepak Chopra says, everything is an activity inside consciousness. Everything. So consciousness, so it's, the idea would be that, that the, the universe is created, God, the, the vibration starts, and, mm-hmm. and the, the illusion starts. And with the sparks of the divine, God does not create the heavens and the earth. God creates the sparks of the divine. And we're the ones that are creating the heavens and the earth because it's all made out of consciousness. That's this thing when you see in channeled material and stuff, a lot of mystical material where they say 
you manifest, like Seth says, you manifest everything around you. There is no other rule. This idea that we are actually manifesting what's around us. And quantum physics, that's where it's going. This idea that mm -hmm. a particle does not come into, into matter until it's seen. It's all consciousness and then it comes in. And so yeah, it's a double slit experiment, move. right? And so the more yeah. I saw this thing where, I, for example, I the, the one thing that was very revealing and Hal Putoff talked about this, the one thing I really... I'm amazed that I'd like to figure out how can the ship be bigger on the inside of the inside side. And a lot of them described this where they go inside. The one guy said he was <clears throat> 73. It was a, a report by Len Stringfield from 1973. He said, this guy's brought in from Hawaii and he's going to film the panels inside this UFO that's inside this hangar outside of Norton Air Force Base. They take him there and it's in a, a netting hanging from a crane and this UFO is in there. He goes up into the UFO and he said, I could have taken a football and thrown it in any direction and not hit a wall. It was that big on the inside and it was just a little thing. And people will describe this. Terry Lovelace, if you've interviewed him, he said it was as big as a football field, as big as a football stadium on the inside. He said he couldn't believe it. It was like this huge. Uh, one guy from New Zealand said, I couldn't see the end of the ship. I looked down, I could not see the end of the ship. I could look that way, I couldn't see the end of the ship. And the thing was, and you look on the outside, and it's only a couple of feet across. Chris Bledsoe told me that. He said he looked outside, it was like 20 feet across. He looked inside, it was huge on the inside. He looked outside, it was, and that's the whole thing. So it's not the regular world. And if, But if it's consciousness, then you can create that kind of stuff. Stuff. And then you have these things where Ron Johnson says, I looked out the window. He said, there was a Milky Way in the distance. That was like 70,000 light years in one second. There's something wrong. And the whole idea is if it's inside yourself, it, it's all there. And you, that's how they move around. They can actually, it's the portal idea. You can actually move from here to here instantaneously. And <clears throat> the other thing that do you have this thing with the inside of the ship? So Ron Johnson's telling me the story. He says, the LB, every house has the one being, which is another thing I discovered. There's always the one being, which again looks at, wonder if that's a spirit guy. Because you, you, you meet a lot of beings, but then like Sherry Wilde had Daw. Ron Johnson had LB. Everybody's got a name. Nancy Tremaine, the first abductee. Hers was called Mister. And they had to give this, and the one person deals with them. One alien deals with them and, and tells them what's going on and whatever. And there's other aliens doing stuff, but it's the one. And then you wonder, I wonder if that's a spirit guy. So LB takes Ron Johnson to the spirit world three times. He's a very strict Mormon guy. And he, he says the first time it's like a lower level. It's kind of dark. He can't really see anything. And he's, he knows he's in this world, but he can't really see anything. The second time he's with his mother. His mother's dead. He's with his mother, but he can't see her. The third time he gets taken in the spirit world, Elby's there, and he says he's with his mother. And he said they're in this field, like a green, almost like a near-life experience, whatever you, whatever you envision. So he envisions his afterlife. There's a, a Mormon temple. It looks like a mm -hmm. temple in Nephi, Utah, he said, a small temple. And as he says, he sees this temple, and his mother says, when you die, Ron, you're going to get a, a room in that building over there. And he says, oh, great. And then he says, it opens up. So the building sort of opens up and he can see his father has a room in there. He can see his father inside this building. And then he goes in the building and there's all these pictures of his mother on the wall and stuff like this. And he said, I walked in the building and he said, it was like 10 or a hundred times the size inside and outside. And I said, Hey, that's what the UFO people say too. So is he in a near death experience? Is he in heaven? Is he in a paradise or is he in a UFO experience? Is he being abducted? And that's the whole idea is you start getting these crossovers where people will describe the out-of-body experience. They'll describe this sort of thing where people are behind them. There's a bunch of them. I started to discover that there was all these crossovers or the, the idea that people knew the ever, answer to everything in the universe where or 37% of all experiencers have had near-death experiences. And it's like, what's the chances that you're going to have a random near-death experience and you're going to be randomly abducted? It's And then you start thinking, well, maybe this is not random. Maybe these are intentional things to learn lessons. And you start seeing mm -hmm. these crossovers. And, you, and that's what, if you've ever interviewed Ray Hernandez, he's the guy that did the survey of the 3,000 experiencers. And he was pulled. He saw a consciousness lecture for me. Two days later, he's in Miami on a freeway and he gets pulled. 
And he said he's, he's, he's white, listening to NPR radio. And he said, next thing you know, he's up in somewhere and there's this wheel spinning. And then the wheel has all these different things. It has remote viewing. It has psychic phenomena, near-death experiences, UFOs, all this sort of stuff, and all these different things. And the wheel is spinning and these beings are saying, it's all the same thing. You got to quit yeah. parsing it. It's all the same thing. And that's the whole idea that, that it's all these different variations and that the beings. So what I see is that the beings, maybe it's all the same thing. It's, it's, they, they can be dead people. You can see dead people on ships. They all have access to the same thing. So when, when my father died in 2006, he was kind of a skeptical guy. And I remember he told my mother and my mother told me, he didn't tell me, but he told my mother, he said, Oh, two days before he died, he said, my father was here. And my mother said, oh, really? What, what, what did your father have to say? He said, he was just here. That's all you need to know. And he died in 1956. So the question is, was that really his father? If his father materializes into the physical, is that his father? He'd lived a thousand different lives. Why didn't he come as a guy in Rome or something? Because my father wouldn't know who he is. There's a guy by the name of Yossi Ronan who says, he was told that his beings were green and every, all the beings are different. I don't care. Says, they're all different. They, they, people will call them grays. And they're, when you start getting them to draw, they look completely different and we're all different and they're all different. So Yossi Ronan talks about this thing. He said the, the green being, it looked like a gray, except it's green. They said to him, when we come into your world, we have to take on a body and we can take on whatever body we have to take on. We don't need a body. You don't either. You just don't know it yet. And this is his whole idea. So they come in and they'll play whatever. And Barbara Streisand's stepson is an experiencer. He told me, he said, when they came to him, they proved to him that they were something. He said, are you beings? He said, if you're actually extraterrestrials or whatever you are, he said, put something in my head that I'd already know. And he said that when they come into the world, what they told him is they come into your head and they use what's in your head to build a lesson for you. And that's all they can do. They can't put stuff in your head that ain't there. So if you're in fear, they're going to use fear to teach you a lesson. If you're, and that's where you see people have these angelic beings where they're seeing, you know, sort of like energy beings. And some people are seeing grays and these real hideous type things. And that's where John Mack, if you've seen the, the lecture between John Mack and Bud Hopkins, they're doing a, a debate thing in Boston. And at one point, John Mack says, Bud, he says, it's really strange here. He says, you know, I'm the psychiatrist here. You think I'd be getting all the real bad ones? He said, actually, I'm getting all the spiritual-seeking ones, and you're getting all the bad ones, and maybe that has more to do with you and I. And that's this idea that we influence. We think that we're separate. It's all one thing. We're not separate from what's happening around us. We have to realize that we're part of what's manifesting around us. We think it's, it looks separate, so it is separate. Or the idea that I say that one of the best stories I've heard in terms of what's actually going on is Leslie Kane. So Leslie Kane did the UFO thing. Then she did the right. near-death experience. And she does a, an interview with Stuart Alexander, who is her medium. And she's in the room. Stuart Alexander's in, in the medium box or whatever. And it was all tied up and all this kind of stuff. And she's sitting at a table. And she said this happened a number of times. All I want to ask her. And you know, people out of this question said, Leslie, I was wondering one thing. Did that hand really appear? And she said, yeah, it actually appeared. And I said, well, tell me the story about the hand. And so she says, I'm sitting there. I'm at this table and there's a red light under the table. And she said, the watery stuff starts to come up on top of the table. And, and suddenly this hand starts to appear and this, this sort of arm and hand and it's sitting there like this. And she said, I felt it. And she said, it was as real as any hand you've ever felt. I could feel the knuckles. I could feel the tendons. It was warmer than an ordinary hand and it was softer than an ordinary hand. And it was sitting there and she felt it. And she said it happened more than once. It happened three or four times that she had this hand thing. And then it banged on the table twice. And then it just went, dematerialized. 
materialized and went back to wherever it came from. So the spirits are the same thing. They're all coming in to say, and they appear as whatever they want. So if you're a religious guy, they're going to appear as an angel. Like Chris Bledsoe is in this whole thing. It's all angels. And the people radio, say right? it's all ETs. It, it'll appear as whatever it wants to appear as to you. That's where I heard this thing about the, where, where, Jim Semivan, he's he's no fan of these guys. He said, the gin. Uh, yeah, he calls them, the, he thinks of them the gin. Yeah, yeah, and he, but he says he has this uh, guardian type thing going on about it. And as soon as he said that, I went, guardian type thing. And I thought, is it on the left side? Because it's on the left side, it's a spirit guide. And they start wondering, like, what is he actually, he interprets it to be an, an entity. But all the people that I talk to, I'd say, for example, who are the people behind this? I don't know. I don't know if it was aliens. I don't know if it was beings. It was just somebody behind me. Or the one guy said, I wasn't allowed to look back. And this is the whole idea that these people all describe these people. So why would the beings stand behind you? And why would you not be able to see them? It's like, it's something else going on. And you start wondering what's really going on. And this whole idea that it can appear as whatever it wants to appear and teach it whatever lesson. So they could all be the same thing. It could be an ET one time, same as you or people say, oh, they, the, the ETs are bad. The, the grays are bad. And they say, well, if reincarnation is a fact, get ready. What happens if you wake up, you know, you die today and you wake up tomorrow as a gray. Are you now evil? I mean, it's like everybody gets to play the roles. All, all the, as Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. All the men and women are but actors. They have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles. And that's, I think, is actually what's going on, that we are not, we are not the actor on the stage. We are the person watching the actor on the stage. And we get caught in that we played King Henry VIII in grade 12, and now we're King Henry VIII. No, you're not. You're, you're no longer King Henry VIII. You played King Henry VIII. And, and that's when Whitley Strieber told the story. And I said to Whitley, I said, it's the best story I've ever heard that you ever told. And he said, when Anne died, she came to him later. And she said, Anne, she said, Whitley, I am no longer Anne, but I'll always be Anne to you. Anne for you. I said, right. that's exactly how it works. That she's off to do another role. And uh, thank you for the role. We played a great thing. And thank you for being my husband and stuff like that. And that's where I see it. I see this idea that, that we're making this uh, the mistake. I say, every mistake we make is, especially when it comes to evil, the I say all that's evil, considered to be evil in the modern world, is created by one thing and one thing only, the mistaken belief in separation. That we believe we're separate. They're, we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. We can take their stuff. We're fighting. It's like a football game. So you and I are fighting, and and the referees are always pulling for you, and it's unfair. And, you know, I got to be born in Winnipeg, the coldest major city in the world. And if I'd been born in the United States, I would have done something. And it was a victim. And they play this victim, and I'm the, this thing. And if you suddenly realize that, that no, that you, you played this role and that you are in control and that if you would at least accept the fact that you're responsible for whatever happened to you, even if it wasn't your fault, then you can start to, to, to cure yourself. But as long as we have this thing of separation, we go into the huddle and I say, who wins the who wins the Super Bowl? It's the team that goes into the huddle where everybody does exactly what they're supposed to do, just like on an alien ship. There's nobody's running the show. Everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And, and you, the way we work at these days is you go into the huddle and they say... What? You want me to block? Are you kidding? I'm not going to block. I'm going for a pass. The hell with you. And everybody's doing whatever they want. And that's why it all falls apart because everybody's doing their own thing. They're into this individual thing rather than realizing that the team thing actually works, that when everybody's working together, it works. Like the United States of America, I, and I even have this thing where the first coin in the United States of America was the 13 colony coin. And it has, we are one. And it has the 13 colonies all linked together on the thing. And it's this oneness idea that the United States of America is great because it is united. It's the United States of America and is no longer becoming united, starting to break apart. And that's mm -hmm. when it's all going to fall apart. It's this idea of oneness versus separation, which I think is the number one message that the aliens are putting across. You'll hear like Brett Oldham. He, he hated the grays. He, he was just he wanted to wring <laughs> their neck if he could have done it. And he said to that tall gray, he said, hey, let me ask you, what's your concept of God? 
And he said, the, the tall gray looked at me and said, we are one with the one who is all. And he said, I was so shocked. He said, I had to sit down on a chair. I couldn't believe he had said it. And, and, and Bashar says, the one is the all, the all are the one. Edgar Casey said, the first lesson for the first six days should be oneness, 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 oneness. And you see these lessons through all these things, this idea of oneness, that if we all work together and we're all realize that you're part of me and that if I, if I injure you, I cut my arm off. And this whole idea that you're only injuring yourself, it, that if everybody tries to make the world a better place when they leave than when they entered, if 8 billion people People all do that. The world's going to be a way better place. But the way we work at it is you put in as little as you can, put as little taxes in as you can, take out as much, as many cars and, and houses out as you can. And we're working exactly the opposite way that where stuff is going down rather than going up. So I think the lesson, the main lesson to me, absolutely from whatever this experience is, is this oneness message. It keeps coming across over my friend, my assistant is a channeler. And she said, I remember and she does this thing where this sparkly gray showed her how to do it. He said, you want to know how it feels? And he put his hand on her shoulder and she could feel her left brain shutting down and going into the field. And then she could, was able to type. She could sit there in the dark and just type and ask questions and her fingers are typing. And then the, the next morning she reads what she wrote to the answers to the questions. She said, I remember the, the oneness thing, every time she'd have to go capital one, capital one, capital one, because everything was oneness, this, this, this idea. And I think that's the main message of whatever's going on. So I think it can play whatever role it wants. The same as in, in 1896. I mean, these guys had the, the guy hanging right. off the rope and they say, where are you from? And they said, oh, we're from Mars. And they go, oh yeah, because we had canals. We saw the canals on Mars. And then we realized it wasn't Mars. And then it said Venus. And then we realized it wasn't Venus. And right. then in the 1980, suddenly they said, oh, we're from Zeta Reticuli, because we realized it was these star planets. And then once we got into multidimensional, now they're from the fifth dimension, the 12th dimension, and they just keep going. Or people will say, they'll say, where are you from? And they'll say, you wouldn't understand. And I think that's true. You really wouldn't understand how it works. So they show you something that fits your worldview in order for you to understand it. But it, it yeah, changes. Like in the 1700s and before that, they were elves or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. It changes yeah. and people don't realize it's morphing. I said, I've been in since 1975 and I can absolutely guarantee you that when I was there, it was ground traces. There has not been a ground trace for 25 years where it lands, leaves the pod marks and it burns the grass and stuff. That hasn't happened for 25 years. Cattle mutilations haven't happened for 20 years. This is the odd one, but it really hasn't happened. In the 70s, everybody was up with a shotgun. There were so many cattle mutilations going on and the crop circles went and they, they got more complex and then they sort of petered out and now they're doing the orb thing and they just they just go it's like i get another new page let's try something different and and they're doing something new and it, it just morphs as we go along and and but it's getting more complex that's uh, for sure the phenomenon is getting more complex i said to people it, it'll be way less physical than you think way more spiritual than you think it will not have a hint of capitalism and it'll be a thousand times at least a thousand times more complex than what people think it is it just gets more complex almost like david bohm said he he, he was telling the quantum physics guys he said you know when you figure out this quantum physics guys you get that all figured out that level he said there's just another level below that and they said no there's right. not he said yeah there is and that's true it's yeah. probably it's like a russian gonna... nesting doll right <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly and that that's and what it's I probably think is... it's it's the same way going down and it's probably the same way going up yeah right yeah and and that's what i've discovered and that's why i think it's like living in, in the super bowl every day I and mean, when you start realizing some of the stuff you discover and you realize like wow i didn't know that like this thing with the nuclear missiles and stuff like that and you start seeing these things and you start realizing or the idea when Jim Semivan said this, this entity was behind it and it had this guardian type thing going on about it. And I'm going, hey, it's like, it's like the, the light's coming on all the time and it's going together. But to me, it's just a fascinating game to play. And 
I, I always say, I mean, I could have been born an untouchable in the streets of Calcutta and spent my days in a junkyard looking for something valuable enough to sell for food for tomorrow. I didn't get that. I got to play in this and I'm going to respect the fact that I got to play in this role. Next time I may end up, you know, some tramp somewhere doing something or whatever. But this time I got lucky. I'll guarantee you. All right, my friend. I think I got lucky too. So <laughs> thank you very much. It, it okay. was an absolute pleasure. Sure, hopefully let's do it we'll again be able sometime. to do absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Thanks again. You bet. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.